0: Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 319th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWANTTOSAVESEEDS.com and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. Today on our podcast, we have someone who translates foul language. We're talking with Melissa Cahy about How to Speak Chicken. Melissa is the author of the books How to Speak Chicken and A Kid's Guide to Keeping Chickens, both published by our friends at Story Publishing. She is a backyard chicken keeper, beekeeper, and gardener who writes the award-winning blog Tilly's Nest. She writes for HGTV, DIY Network, and the magazines Grit, Chickens, Community Chickens, and Country Living. She also gives presentations on keeping chickens at events across the country. She lives on Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and is our guest today. Welcome to the show today, Melissa. Are you ready to talk chicken?
1: I sure am. Thanks for having me, Greg.
0: Sweet. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: I like to tell people or share with people never in a million years did I ever think that I would be a chicken keeper let alone writing chicken books but here I am
2: <laughs>
1: and it's kind of funny how life takes you on a journey sometimes unexpected and sometimes when you take some leaps of pretty amazing things happen. Oh, yes. Yeah, I I grew up in rural New Jersey. I transplanted to Southern California in Los Angeles over 20 years ago, grew up there and spent the majority of my teenage years and my young adulthood there. Went to school at UCLA and became a nurse practitioner.
2: Oh, wow. That's where my
1: past Path took me, and I was in academics. Uh, I worked a lot in the geriatric department. That's kind of my passion, is working with elderly people.
2: Mm-hmm. Probably
1: have turned off a lot of your listeners now, but I think older people are super cool, and you can learn a lot of life's lessons just chit-chatting with them and, and listening to them. But fast forward to a time when you're thinking about getting married and having children, and, and we wanted met my, my husband out there, but he was from Massachusetts. We decided to kind of slow things down a little bit. And so we moved to Cape Cod, Massachusetts, where there's a lot of agriculture, a lot of sustainable movement going on here by fresh, by local. And I just started immersing myself here, learning all about gardening in a completely different zone. Because when I was in Los Angeles, I was in zone 10. And even though the the charts say that Cape Cod's like a zone 7, we're really like a 6B. Mm -hmm. Because we do have some, you know, rare temperatures that dip down, quite chilly. And I was learning about gardening, and I was reading all the magazines I could and learning to deal with snow in seasons, which were super exciting for me. <laughs> and I still find magic in seasons around me. But I was just taking time off from work as a nurse practitioner and staying home with kids, two, two young ones. I started also seeing chickens, backyard chickens, popping up all over the place in the backyards as I drove around. Uh-huh. What what? Everybody's keeping these chickens. There must be something to this. So then I got some chicken books out of the library and started. There was really not much online at all about raising small flocks. They were always larger flocks, people who were keeping them for meat or certainly commercial poultry information.
0: Right. When was that?
1: That was, gosh, back in like 2007, mm-hmm. 2008 yep, or so. It took me a little while to think, well, gosh, maybe chickens would be right for us, but they were on my radar for quite a while. And there was something nostalgic about it, something about back to everybody's grandparents kind of kept chickens a lot in the U.S., and everybody has a chicken story. The kids wanted a puppy, and nobody was sleeping through the night. My my kids are terrible sleepers back then. Uh (laughs) And I remember the thing, and you're going to find this maybe silly, but the thing that grabbed me was that chickens put themselves to bed at night.
0: Isn't that nice?
1: (laughs) And I thought, oh, no fighting over bedtime, fresh eggs, pets with potential benefits, let's go for it. Yeah. And that was early two thousand and ten when we took the leap of faith and ordered six baby chicks to come in the mail. Started realizing how amazing backyard chickens truly are, that they, my gosh, have personalities. And my kids were naming them and we were somehow they were morphing into boring chickens that just provide eggs and are dumb animals into these magical feathered little fluff balls that were teaching my children life lessons reinforcing what I had learned in my nursing career in regards to what is important in life, simple lessons, simple things unfurling in front of me. And certainly we had a blast. Mm -hmm. We still have a blast. But I'm proud to say that my children grew up with a flock of chickens. They're still growing up. They're now, my children are now, in high school and middle school. Uh-huh. But it was just so amazing that that's what kind of triggered me to start writing things down. I wanted to journal things for them. And also, being with a background in medicine, when my flock was having issues, I had one chicken get a sour crop. Oh, yes. The infection in the crop. Mm-hmm. As a backyard chicken keeper, you might know about that. And there was very little information out there. And so as I was collecting things from wearing my scientist hat, I started just collecting neat things, and it also got me wanting to connect with my chickens more. So the first book that I wrote was more about my children went to a Montessori school, Mm -hmm. and I love that philosophy of providing everybody everything they need to be successful at something and presenting them material where people will just grab what they need, and they'll come back to it and grab more in sort of this kind of evolution of education. All right. And I love that. So that's what I did. I aimed to write a family's guide, really, to keeping chickens and giving them everything to get started. So that was the first book. But I've always been speaking chicken since the first flock.
2: Uh-huh. You
1: know, always mimicking, watching, copying their little peeps and coos and clucks. As I've been traveling around the country on the first book tour, one of the most popular parts of the segment, I guess, in the presentation is when I teach people. And I interpret what their chickens are saying. And everybody's quiet. You can hear a pin drop (laughs) because they all want to learn how to speak chicken. And I said to my publisher, I said, you know, I think I might be onto something here. I'd love to write this book, really exploring what it's like to be a chicken, their hierarchy, their language, their emotions, their anatomy, their bodies, their smarts, all of that rolled into one. Mm-hmm. So that's kinda of how I got to how to speak chicken.
0: Wow. Okay, good. So, I mean
1: along the way I mean keeping chickens, I also decided to become a beekeeper and I became a master gardener and Right volunteer in the community. You know, it's all about immersing yourself into the environment where you are mm-hmm. and always trying to just explore.
0: And it sounds like you've done a really good job of that.
1: Well, I didn't know I would. <laughs> I had an English teacher in high school told me that I would never be cut out for writing.
0: Yeah, we can't ever listen to them. Well, that's actually not quite true. We have to selectively listen to them.
1: Correct. Yeah, I agree.
0: And then pick what you want.
1: Yes. You know, you have to be able to have insight, I think, to things sometimes.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So when we're talking speaking chicken, let's dig into that. What are we talking about really? Cluck, cluck. I just spoke chicken. I'm not making fun of you, but
1: him okay. and that's you know when when we're when we're children we're told that the cow goes moo and the sheep goes bah and the you know all of that kind of thing and the chicken goes cluck cluck or, uh-huh. bok, bok, or the rooster goes cock-a-doodle-doo right that's what we were taught because that's what everybody else before us was taught and the people before them and when you go into different countries it's interesting because the vocalizations of animals are actually different
2: Really? Different
1: languages. I don't know if you've ever noticed that my son is actually taking Chinese. <laughs> he was last night telling me, and I wish I could sh- tell you what it was, but it was a sound of like a goat, and it was totally different. It was very interesting.
2: Wow. So I
1: find that fascinating. When you actually take the time to watch and listen and immerse yourself into the world of the chickens, when you are spending time with them in the backyard or out by the coop and observing them, you realize that you actually can hear different things playing out. And scientists have proven that there's, you know, two dozen calls that they now know what they mean.
0: Wow. So like what? Tell me. I know there's the egg song. That's a particular right. sound, right? Okay, good. So yeah. what else? Yeah.
1: So do you recognize the egg song after your chicken lay an egg?
0: Oh, there's a before and after.
1: There is a before and after. There's a, I have to lay an egg, and then there's the egg song.
0: Oh. Um, would you like
1: to do them for you? Yeah. Okay. So okay. <laughs> so, as a chicken keeper, uh-huh. you probably have realized that there is a favorite nesting box.
0: Oh, oh, yes. They'll line up by the dozen in front the of them. line it. up. Yep.
1: That's right. And these girls wait, and there's this hierarchy. And sometimes, even though there's other nesting boxes available they always just choose that one
0: yeah what's that about
1: you know it has to actually do with them feeling that that's the safest place to lay the eggs and sometimes it can change but it's a safety thing and they feel like if they can lay all their eggs together the chances of them being incubated and hatched is higher than them
2: oh
0: perfect laying them all separate. Yeah, of course
1: makes sense right yes does that make sense? If they all laid them together, then maybe one of the girls would go broody and hatch out all eight instead of one. Right. So it's, it's a built-in survival mechanism, really. Mm-hmm. Getting back to that egg song. So sometimes, based on the pecking order, the girls lower in the order. When they're going to lay eggs, they, they run in back and forth looking at them. Are you out of the box yet? Out of the out of the box yet?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's kind of a frantic because they're probably holding that egg and knowing it's ready. And that egg on the way essentially sounds like bop, bop, bop. Huh? <laughs> I'm laughing because you're probably thinking this lady's crazy. <laughs> oh no, not at all.
0: I, I well, you know oh, when you God. when you really stop to listen, my sweetie Heidi, these are her pets, and so she, you know, she pets them, and they come up to her, and so on and so on. So it it makes sense. There's no crazy yeah. here, not any more than the chickens are crazy. So
1: right. Please right. continue. Sometimes you'll hear some chickens doing that. I have one silky bantam
0: uh-huh.
1: named Fifi, who is our oldest chicken. Her name is Fifi, and she's a, a black silky bantam.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She doesn't lay eggs anymore, but she was one of the chickens that was very had a very notable egg on the way song. <laughs> she was so sweet. I mean, of course, she's in henna now. Uh-huh. You know, she doesn't lay an egg, but that kind of parlays us into what happens after the egg is laid. And that is the egg song. That is the announcement that, hey, I did it. I laid an egg.
2: Uh-huh. And
1: usually this happens as the hen is leaving the nesting box, really. And she'll go out into the run and announce to her flockmates that indeed she has laid an egg. Now, I have seen other chickens join the chorus of the egg song.
0: Right. Absolutely.
1: And I've also had chickens and henopause come out and fake me out with an egg song mm. after just sitting in the box and contemplating. And these are the older girls. These are the elderly chickens. And I say elderly because the average lifespan is five to seven years. So these girls are five years plus. Got it. Maybe once in a while they'll lay an egg, but it's it's few and far between. Right. Most of the egg laying occurs in the first two years. We should talk about that egg song. Do you want to try it with me?
0: Sure. Let's do it. <laughs>
1: Okay, so after the egg is laid, and it starts out kind of quiet, and it gets louder as you go on, but it's.
0: Oh yeah. Okay. All right. Hold on here. Hold on. Okay. Let me try. It was like. So
1: it's low first. Oh okay. Yep. There you go.
0: Oh, yay. Okay, good. (laughs) You're very good. (laughs) Well, I've had chickens for a very long time.
1: Oh, you're going to have to go out and sing that egg song. And it's interesting because the chicken greeting, and you probably, this is probably the simplest thing, and when I'm telling people about these vocalizations, I tell them, go out and say hello to your flock. And Uh that greeting is, and it's just a quiet little, And they say it like, hello, how you doing? How are you? What's going on? If you go out and you say that, they'll look up at you. And it was funny because I was giving this fall, I was invited to speak at the Beekman 1802 Harvest Festival Mm -hmm. up in Sharon Springs, New York. I kind of situate myself over by the chickens and I get to talk all about the chickens on the farm. And then I talk a little bit about what it's like to keep chickens, basically exposing people to chickens. Mm -hmm. When I come to the part where I speak chicken, I didn't realize it at first, but I started doing the chicken vocalizations, and one of the attendees said to me, do you realize that the chickens all perked up when you started
2: talking? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Well, that makes sense. And I was like,
1: wow, that's crazy. Not crazy, but so the chicken language is actually universal in Uh that was one of the times that I realized that these clucks and coos have the same meaning no matter what chicken coop you're in. And that was really cool. So the next group that came around, I was sure to spin them around so that I had my eye on the chickens. And sure enough, they all popped their heads up like, where's that chicken? I haven't met that chicken yet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. I've kept hands long enough to I get it. This yeah. is cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, do you want to do another one?
0: Okay, you asked. Let's do it.
1: Okay, we'll do one more. So one of my favorite things was, you know, when it's snowing and the wind is whipping and bones cold and you have to go out and close up the chickens and you think, oh, I really don't want to go out there. But you have to close them up to keep predators away and you don't want any drafts or anything, especially when a blizzard's going on. So I trekked across the yard, all bundled up, and I hopped into the chicken coop because we can stand in our chicken coop, and I closed the door just to kind of catch my breath, and I could feel the snow melting, very, very quiet, peaceful, and the moon, you know, peeking through the clouds and, and everything else. I felt the snow melting off my face, but behind me, I could hear all this little chicken chatter, and I was like, what in the world is that? And it was almost as like they were doing a roll call. Uh-huh if they're doing a roll call i'm gonna make the little sounds that they're making and see if they answer me back and so i say chickens say good night that roll call is do, 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 do. oh yes do, 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 do,
0: do. yep mm-hmm. i've heard yep. it before yeah it's kind of like a cooing
1: yes and so next time you go in there at night answer them back
0: all right <laughs> How much fun is this? It's always interesting when we pay attention and observe what we can yeah. come up with. You know, I'm a I'm a teacher of permaculture.
2: Oh, that's fabulous.
0: Yeah, and the first premise of permaculture is observation. Go out and observe. When Janice shared with me the topic today, you know, it it piqued my curiosity. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, because there is so much there, and I I have to admit that although I probably haven't been observing this as much as I could have over the past 15 years, my Heidi Sweetie, who has been keeping chickens here for four years with me, you know, she goes out and she talks to the chickens all the time, but in human verbalizations, not in chicken verbalizations, although I do have this memory that maybe she did a little bit in chicken, but so I'm going to, she's going to love this. She's going to love this and (laughs) I'm I'm smiling. So yeah, and I'm smiling. Oh,
1: good. Well, you know, and that's how it started for me, too, was just interspersing these chicken sounds with the English language Mm -hmm. when I was talking to the chicks, and it starts very, very young, and baby chick language is different than adult chick language, and it takes time for that to come. It takes about 14 weeks until the little ones know what the adults are saying and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's just incredibly fascinating to find yourself understanding what they're saying. Yeah. Who knew?
0: Right. How did you come about to write a book?
1: That was just something that I felt I just had to share. I've always been a huge advocate of sharing what I know and what I learned because I think that, you know, life is so short and if you can make something positive or try yeah. and enhance somebody's experience, why not? And I had so many people come up to me just, you know, keeping the website and everything and answering emails and messages on Facebook, there was a niche and there was this desire and this passion from fellow chicken keepers to not only share how smart and how wonderful chickens are, but also to give them some kind of decoder so they can get close to their
2: chickens.
0: Right.
1: People want to be close to their cats and dogs and pet chickens are like no other.
0: Oh yeah, that is the case. Well, I have to tell you, we've been on for a little over 20 minutes now, and my smiles, you know how your smile kind of gets sore when you're smiling so much? I'm there.
1: (laughs) Oh, I'm happy then. My mission has been accomplished.
0: Nice, nice. As my listeners know, I'm always looking for epic, and I'll tell you what, this is epic.
1: Oh, good. (laughs) I think my smile matches yours.
0: Oh, perfect. So do you have a favorite chicken?
1: Oh, gosh, you know, I have a few favorite chickens that I've kept over the years. Of course, you know, everybody calls me Tilly. But my name isn't Tilly. Tilly was my head hen, and she she was an Australorp, mm-hmm. part of our first flock. And she was really the first chicken that really was interested in me, as much as I was interested in her. And she was a wonderful friend. I mean, just such a sweet girl, very, very talkative, following me around the yard, inquisitive. She was my little chatterbox. In fact, she was the chicken that gave me my name, which is a whole other story which mm-hmm. I share in the book. And then I would have to say my other favorite chicken. And I, oh, I feel so guilty talking. It's like talking about kids. Oyster Cracker. Oyster Cracker was a big buff Orpington. And she would not, never, ever, ever get out of my lap. When there was an opportunity to jump in or nuzzle in my neck, she did. And she would. And she was just a lap chicken. I mm-hmm. can't even explain it. She wanted to be with me more than the flock some days. And always curious, always coming in to see what I was up to and climb in my lap and just get chicken snuggles.
0: You know, people may not realize this, but if you hand raise chicks, they can turn into this. They're they're lap chickens. Yeah,
1: they are. Yeah. They're pets right they are pets but you know it's time put in for what you get out Mm -hmm. like with anything in life you know what you get what you put into it yeah and so that's part of the lesson that i was referring to in the beginning of the, the program that's something important for my kids to see and i was able to do that with the flock and outside
0: that's epic thank you for sharing that so you have a chicken tractor
1: do i have a chicken tractor yeah i do
0: Tell me about your chicken tractor.
1: You mean the kind that we just move around the yard? Yes. Yes, I have a chicken tractor, and I have a big coop, too. The chicken tractor is actually from Omelette.
0: Oh, yes, I've interviewed them.
1: Yep, they've got these amazing chicken tractors. So those are really fun to have, and it's a great way to get the girls on fresh grass, a great way to move them to different locations, change your point of view. It's a perfect for a small flock if you want to keep like maybe four hens. I have nine right now, but sometimes I'll put chickens that are not behaving so well in there.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: a great way to raise broody hen and, and her chicks. So, yeah, I, I kind of love to collect chicken coops, and I think that the omelet tractor is pretty amazing. I, I love the ease of it, really, and the, the way you can clean it is so yeah. fabulous.
0: Beautiful. I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it.
1: Okay. Well, I'm a huge believer in failing. (laughs) (laughs) I love failure because those are the things that we remember, and that's when we learn. And that's when we don't, you know, the successes are awesome, but I think the failures are even sometimes more important.
0: Yeah. Well, that's that's really why I asked this question.
1: And it's important. One of the more recent epic failures was the time, and this has nothing to do with chickens, I became a beekeeper, oh my gosh, maybe seven years ago, and one of the things the old timers in the club were telling us, oh, you can make the most beautiful beeswax candles and soaps and lip balms. You just take the old wax and you melt it down in a double boiler on the stove. So I... Went to the thrift store and got some old, you know, pots and pans. Figure I'll just make a little cheap double boiler. And thank goodness I did because I started melting this comb down. It wasn't the beautiful light comb. It was used comb that took on a darker, more brown appearance. Can I tell you what a mess that was? (laughs) (laughs) It was disgusting. It melted into this black gob of just horrible, horrible, gooey stickiness. And I thought... Oh, this is definitely not the pure beeswax that you can get commercially or online. I ended up throwing out everything. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even worth a salvage. But I learned you have to experience things for yourself. Yeah. You really do. Know if things are gonna work for you. Or, you know, and that's what I tell people all the time with chicken keeping, you have to do what works for you. And just because one thing, one technique or one way works for a certain chicken keeper, it doesn't mean it's gonna work for you. Right. So you have to do what works for you. And there's a lot of ways to do things where you can be successful. But I guess that's one of the more recent really bad, embarrassing fails. And you know what? I put it on social media because I don't want appear that i have this perfect you know wonderful little ivory tower life no Mm -hmm. if we're trying to put up the christmas tree the rest of the house looks like a disaster (laughs) i'm not cleaning the rest of the house to put some beautiful photos up online truly it's just you know sharing the reality the true reality that is often so important yeah so i think people really feel like they have to live up to this certain level of perfection and that's just not the case
0: yeah we're humans i tell people to experiment have fun.
1: Exactly, it is fun. Yeah, it's a lot of that was permaculture. Yeah, know?
0: and I, I also tell people I've killed more plants than you ever have. I promise, not on purpose, oh but gosh. that's just the process, right?
1: Exactly, I'm a huge plant killer. <laughs> Maybe we should make a bumper sticker. There
0: you go. <laughs> so, what do you consider your biggest success?
1: My biggest success, my children. Mm-hmm. My children. I think that for me, they're going to hopefully be the legacy that I that I leave behind. I'm trying to raise kids in Today's world has its challenges, but I think certainly trying to have them grow up to be the best that they can be for themselves, for the world around them, and to caring and compassionate and considerate and mindful and kind is probably the biggest success for me.
0: Beautiful. So what drives you?
1: I think life Mm -hmm. in general. What was a horrible quote somebody once said is that, you know, from the time you're born, you you begin to die Mm -hmm. and the countdown begins. We don't know how long we have on this planet, and so I'm always trying to make the most of life, trying to always find the positive in things, the silver lining in those failures. And driving me really is about trying to make the world a better place, and I know that sounds so, I don't know, cliche, but it started even from me wanting to become a nurse. Mm-hmm. I had a near death experience when I was 18. It's a whole other radio show, but that was a time when I was either going to pass away or survive. I was in the hospital with a horrible infection after a botched surgery, and I got down to 75 pounds. And wow. Not doing well. I was on a lot of different life support and stuff. Mm -hmm. I remember that time where I was like, okay, if if I can stick around, I promise to (laughs) try and make the world a better place and try and make a difference. And so I guess that's what drives me is just trying to be passionate about living.
0: Beautiful. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why?
1: I've got one kind of out of from left field for you. Okay. I actually recommend the Romanovs, and the subtitle is Autocrats of. All Russia by W. Bruce Lincoln. The reason that I recommend this book, I remember when I was in my early 20s and I went to Las Vegas and, of course, gambled away my $20, you know. Right,
0: in about three minutes. (laughs) That
1: I had as a college student. Right. There was an exhibit on the Fabergé eggs. Oh, right. And I went to it, and I was more impressed with the photos of the Romanovs and the scenery of Russia than the egg, Mm. And there was something about those portraits that made me want to learn more. Being a kid in the 80s, you know, Russia was always this horrible, bad place. We didn't know about Russia, except we were taught they were the USSR. This is where they were on the map, and they wanted to nuke us, right? Right. (laughs) And so it was from that exhibit that I became, and I'm not a history buff by any means. I can appreciate history and I find history very interesting, but I wanted to learn more about them. And this was one of the first books that I had picked up on the Romanovs. It absolutely blew my mind. It is such a fascinating read. It reads almost like suspense, thriller, all of it, but it's based on the history of Russia.
2: Wow, cool.
1: Different book. It's a big one if you can get through it, but it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty neat. And I, and I think learning about the history of different places that are foreign to us is always a good thing. Oh,
0: yeah. Absolutely. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
1: I guess I would say to try and learn something new every day. Mm-hmm. Keep learning. Keep learning. Keep exploring. Keep trying. Yeah. You never know, like for me, where a little flock of chickens will get you.
0: <laughs> That's the case. actually went back to college at 39, so... I got a bachelor's oh, and a master's good degree. You.
1: Good for you. I am
0: a lifelong learner and a lifelong teacher. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Melissa.
1: Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. This has been really fun.
0: Oh, it has been fun. Even the chicken talking part—I love that. I love that. And I know my—I know my <laughs> Heidi Sweetie is going to get a giggle out of that. So, how can our listeners get a hold of you?
1: Well, of course, I keep the website Tilly's Nest, T-I-L-L-Y-S Nest, like a bird's
0: mm-hmm.
2: nest.
1: dot com I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Reach out to my website and you can email me. And I guess those are probably the easiest ways to reach me.
0: You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash speak chicken. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, podcasts, Webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text seeds to 33444 or visit I want to save and you will receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you